When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is Buckeye Futures Friday. I am Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Stephen Means for our usual week ending. Well, it doesn't really end the Buckeye Talk week. We'll be back with you tomorrow with more Ohio State football talk. But today we are talking recruiting, mostly football recruiting, but we're actually going to dip a little bit into basketball on the back end of this, coming off of their season of, of great accomplishment and great disappointment and, and where they're going next with that. But we're going to start with football. And we're going to start with, I think a lot of times, one of the relationships that really governs how we talk about Ohio State football recruiting and that is Alabama football recruiting. These are it's it's the standard, right? That Ohio State is set. I think every year, when fans are reaching out to us to ask how is Ohio State football recruiting doing, I really think that there's a certain percentage of that question that is not how is Ohio State doing relative to Michigan or relative to the rest of the Big Ten or even in the nation. I think a lot of like how much of that question, if like if the if the if the question is like the tip of the iceberg, like how much of it, how much huger is the iceberg underneath? I'm, I'm saying this the wrong way. How much of, uh, what percentage of the question is, how is Alabama recruiting, or how is our state recruiting compared to Alabama? Yeah, and I, I kind of asked Ryan Day some, some version of, of what you just said, and the fact that we know that Ohio State has Michigan's recruiting board up in their office, in the, in the Woody. We know that because that's the rivalry. And if you're losing the players in Michigan, that means at the end of the year, eventually you have to see those players again, but also just keeping with the rivalry, you're obsessed with Michigan. I wanted to know if there was any national programs that get that same treatment, even if it's not to that extreme because it's not your rival. And the only p- team that really – qualifies that way is Alabama not even Clemson yes Clemson has stolen some guys in the past but Clemson isn't consistently putting together top three recruiting classes they just have some elite players at the top and they combine that with some developmental guys and they've built a national program but Alabama has just habitually kind of been in Ohio State's way but it's been on the back burner you don't think about it as much until you play them whether it's Jordan Battle in the 2019 class flipping on signing day you have J.C. Latham who forever was an Ohio State lean, ends up going to Alabama, which pretty much swung the competition for the number one recruiting class in 2021. Because as we know now know, J.C. Lazen is the number two player in the country, which gives Alabama two of the top five players, which is what Ohio State's trying to do with Jack Sawyer and hopefully J.T. Tumalau. If J.C. Latham, if that momentum actually – ends up in a commitment, you've got three of the top five players in the country in your class. So you lose that, but you also, Devonta Smith, the cornerback from Ohio, who ends up flipping from Ohio State to, to Alabama. Now that one had some family ties to it, him being the cousin of Sean Alexander. But it's the fact that 
Alabama is secretly kind of always picking out Ohio State, but you don't necessarily think about it as much. And that's the team they need to get through if they want to end up getting a recruiting title. So I went back over the past decade and just compared where did these two teams rank in the final 247 sports ranking? I, I can't tell if this was just 247 or the composite. I think it was a composite. But uh, regardless, here, out of the past 10 years, how many times has Alabama had the number one class? I'm going to say nine. Eight. Ah. Because they were only second in 2020. Yeah, you're right. And then they were fifth in 2018. They had a, a, a really out-of-character dip for them. And Ohio State obviously still looking for its first class, but I'm going to just read back to here. So 2021, Ohio State was first. Alabama, I'm sorry, Alabama was first. Ohio State was second. 2020, Alabama was second. Ohio State was fifth. 2019, Alabama was first. Ohio State was 14th. That was a transition year. Some things that played into a smaller class, some things played into that. And again, this is only going by that total points number, not the average average star rating, which, as we've talked about before, is actually sometimes a more uh, accurate description of how what, 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 what that class contains. 2018, that was the year Alabama slipped to fifth on Ohio State was second. So they did finish ahead of them one time, one time in the past decade. 2017, Ohio, uh, Alabama won, Ohio State two. 2016, Alabama won, Ohio State four. Actually, Ohio State's won the rest of the way. They, and I, I didn't check back, but I know they had a streak of like, what, eight years or something like that where they were number one. So mm-hmm. 2017, Ohio State was second. 2016, Ohio State was fourth. 2015, Ohio State 7th. 2014, Ohio State 3rd. 2013, Ohio State 2nd. And 2012, Ohio State was 5th. So, we've talked so much about the tiers of college football. It's something that Doug had really like brought as a, a way to frame how we talk about a lot of things. And Alabama Clemson being that top tier and Ohio State being that next rung down, that even if it's just a half step, it just always seemed like a clear step. When you look back over that decade, and I'm the one who's, who is who is very much pushes back on, well, there's not a huge difference between like first and third. If you're like fifth every year, that means something. But does that still tell you, that decade still help explain why there is that half step? Yes, because, I mean, eight times in 10 years is why they, Nick Saban's winning national championships, man. It's the, there's no dip. And his dip is, what you said, it was fifth or fourth? I mean, that's not a that's not a real – your dip is still top five class in the country. While Ohio State's dip, in context of what happened, it's still a dip. It's still a dip where you're not a top ten recruiting class. I mean, for the most part, if you have a top four, top three, top five recruiting class, you're probably a playoff team, especially when you're in the SEC. And now, and now Alabama's getting it done at the most important position, which is quarterback with guys like Tua and Bryce Young, who were both five stars as well. But, yes, talent leads the championships. And when you can reload every single year like Alabama does, like nobody else, that's the monster you have to compete with. And that's what Ohio State has to go up against. So I guess then the question that follows there is, do you feel like what we've seen from Ohio State these last couple of years, you know, being the number two class last year, being uh, out in front this year, as we'll get to in a minute, because we're going we're gonna to turn this towards 2022 pretty quickly. But do, do you feel like some of this was a direct answer to having to catch up to Alabama, that, they, that Ohio State at some point saw even – I mean, the, again, the last year finishing second was the third time in five years that they'd finished second. Mm-hmm. But it also wasn't necessarily insulating them maybe from the years where they dipped to seventh and – 14th and whatever and they were finishing fifth more often than maybe Alabama was if that's what you're chasing was there sort of like a le- another level of consistency to which Ohio State had to aspire even beyond what Urban Meyer had done 
lifting this program to another level from a recruiting standpoint? I think what's going to help them is the process in which they're building these classes. Uh, 2020 excluded because that's Ryan Day's first year and a lot of that happened in the summer. The 2021 class, a lot of that happened in the spring. It happened very early on in the cycle before everybody else woke up. And so now you get to kind of zero in on some of these top tier players that maybe get added in, you know, in the summertime or closer. You get to focus on guys like Emeka Ibuka, who literally takes up until the Friday before signing day to, to commit to a class because you've got everybody else already committed. And you're seeing the same things in 2022. They've already got 11 guys in it. And, you know, we are, we just hit the spring technically. Uh, so, and you're seeing Alabama waking up now and starting to get involved in some things you saw it. In, that's what you saw in 2021, Ohio state got out ahead early before the monster that is Alabama woke up. And so once that did hit, once that wave of commits did hit JC Latham, uh, the top, uh, the second best offensive tackle, uh, Tommy Brockemeyer and his, and his twin brother, who's the number one center in that class. When you saw all these commits start coming along, Ohio State had enough to at least keep pace. So now it's a race. And now the next, you can spend the next six months racing because you've already done your part. You're seeing it in 2022 now as Alabama starts to wake up. Now they're number 16 in the country. Obviously that will continue to rise. But the, goal, the, the idea is by July, we're going, okay. Ohio State's put in some work. Alabama's put in some work. We got six months to signing day. Let's see what happens. So obviously Ohio State had a great season in 2020, winning the Big Ten again, being ranked as high as they were, uh, winning a Big Ten championship game, then getting onto the same field as Clemson and kind of blowing their doors off. I mean, just just owning that game and and going up against another elite program, that program that we would put – program, not team, but program that you would put on the same level as Alabama and just trouncing them. But then they get into the championship game with Alabama and we saw what happened. Did that game reinforce anything to you as far as reflective of still the recruiting gap between those programs? Or when I say recruiting gap too, we're, again, we're looking backwards. We're not looking because, yes, we saw what happened in 2021 where they're like neck and neck. We see what's happening right now in 2022. So I'm, I guess I'm still asking about, you know, 2019 and prior, the years leading up to last year's season. Did that did, – did you see things in that game that, like, reinforced where these teams still had a separation from a recruiting standpoint? Yeah, you saw Ohio State's recruiting misses and Alabama's lack of recruiting misses. I'm going to bring up Jordan Battle again. Imagine if that top 100 kid who was supposed to be at Ohio State was Ohio State's secondary last year. How much more comfortable would you have been if Ohio State's 2019 class just had another top 100 player who was starting to blossom as a sophomore? And even when he got ejected from the game, there was no – Ugh. we don't know what Alabama's next option was. Alabama secondary just kept rolling. Uh, you saw it with the, run, with the running back situation. I mean, Najee, yes, Najee Harris coming back helps because most guys who are a top five player in the country are three and done players, but Alabama's got a Stockholm of, of running backs every single year, kind of similar to what now what Ohio State is going to start having. Uh, you saw it with the wide receivers. You lose two, two first-round wide receivers. <laughs> and what's your what's your you know what's your replacement the Heisman Trophy winner and another guy in Jalen Waddle even if he's not 100% healthy that's a first round wide receiver Mac Jones was the second quarterback in that 2017 recruiting class behind Tua so you're seeing that development and what may be out there for Jack Miller it's it, just for a comparison as a lower rated guy in the class if he sticks around maybe that's his future so that's where it, it's, it's Alabama doesn't have dips and they don't have lulls at a certain position to where you, you're coming into a season and we're going, I don't know about the secondary. The talent might not be there. 
And that's where Ohio State needs to play catch up is at this point, whether it's in the linebacker room now, as you're seeing in the 2022 class, whether it's Kerry Combs coming back and reloading the, the secondary in the 2021 and continuing it in 2022. You're seeing Ohio State is still at the point where they're filling holes, while Alabama is just more of a train that continues to run smoothly. When I look back over this list, the year that really jumped out at me was 2019. You look at that 2018 was a year that Alabama had its quote unquote dip that plummet all the way down to the number five recruiting class in the country. By the way, four years later, then that's the team that was on the field yeah. in um, wherever we were, New Orleans, um, um, Miami. I, Miami. I don't remember. We were, yeah, we were in two cities <laughs> in basically six days. I, I started, to, I started <laughs> a, yeah, I knew I, I started to say about four different cities and I, I couldn't remember Miami. Yeah. Um, cause I think tech, I, I didn't actually ever go to Miami, by the way, it was Fort Lauderdale and Miami gardens. I didn't actually step foot into Miami yeah. anyway. Okay. So Miami, uh, that was still, that was the, one of the foundational classes for the team that, that whooped up on Ohio state, but that, so 2019, they come right back in to get the number one class and that's the year Ohio state falls to 14. So the, the reason I'm bringing this up is it's why I feel like what Ohio state is doing in recruiting right now and maybe ramping things up even another level over from a consistent basis, maybe from where they were under Urban Meyer. Again, maybe that's unfair for me to say because they were runner-up 2017, runner-up 2018. They've had some great classes. But if the consistency is going to be there at this level, the reason why I think that's crucial is because Nick Saban is not getting any younger, and they seem Alabama always seems like one step closer to when it might have that year and that that might be the window where you can – their transitional year or their one year where something out of their control goes sideways. And that could be the year that Ohio state takes advantage. That's why the consistency of what they're doing seems like it might be important to me. I think I agree with that because you're right. He's not getting any younger and Ryan day's young as can be. So and he's, and if he leaves, it's because he's going to the NFL. He's not leaving to go. I mean, Ohio state's the job to have as a coach outside of maybe Alabama, Texas or USC. And so, yeah, I, I think, that's where Ohio State maybe can make that jump. But for right now, it's, it, you're right. They have to stay afloat, continue to be number one, number two, number three. And even if you have dips, it's kind of like oh, Alabama's dip in 2018 where it's number five. But, so it's still quality, but also the top end of it is guys like Patrick Sertain, who's probably going to be the first cornerback taken off the board. Jalen Waddle, who's going to be a first-round wide receiver. Guys like that. And 2019 is sort of like that. It's just the bottom of it is just not as – as good as what Alabama's bottom is. But the top half, I mean, what Zach Harrison's potential is and the way he's talking right now, what we know Garrett Wilson's probably going to be, what Harry Miller's potential is as three five stars, it can be a sort of soft version of what 2018 was for Alabama, especially when the 2020 class has some guys who might pop in year two. After the break, we're going to come back. We're going to talk specifically about where these teams are at the start of 2022 recruiting. Or actually, I guess it's not really the start. Ohio State's pretty far along <laughs> in, in putting together its class. But where they stand right now and where they're going to come head-to-head as we develop, uh, as, as this develops in the coming months. You're listening to the BFF pod on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. And as we stand here, as we sit – on March 25th, as we're recording this, Ohio State has the number one class in the 2022 class, <laughs> the number one group in the 2022 class uh, per the 24-7 sports composite, um, 10 recruit, 11 recruits, 11 commitments, I should say, um, off to a really strong start. Alabama has five commitments and is ranked number 16 
two five stars, two four stars, including a guy who's in the 300s, a tight end in the 300s, and then a defensive end ranked number 390 nationally, which, I, which is actually one of my favorite names I've seen in a while. Walter Bob from Lafayette, Louisiana, um, is, is, the, is the number 390 overall recruit in this class. I'm, but I don't really I, – I, I should have gone and looked because I, I doubt that, like, people are in, like, panic mode in Alabama, at, in, in Tuscaloosa at this point, fans are. And I wonder how, if, if, if this is where you see kind of the difference sometimes between the chaser and the chasee, because if, if Alabama had 11 prospects right now and had a huge lead in the class and Ohio State had five and was down in, at rank 16, I think we might be hearing it a little bit from our, the Ohio State fans right now. And I'm not saying that would be justified, actually. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting how your viewpoint changes depending on where you've been sitting in these rankings and where you've been sitting at the end of the year more often than not over the past decade. Yeah, recruiting is a marathon and not a sprint. And you have to stick with what your process is. We would be confused with Ohio State because I think under Ryan Day, we've come to assume that very on, early on in the cycle, they're going to have a, a splurge of commitments. So if that, would, if that didn't happen this spring, if we were entering July and Ohio State only had two or three guys, we'd be going, hey, what's going on? Usually by now you've got the state locked down, maybe one or two five stars is in, and you're kind of rolling. Why aren't you rolling right now? While with Alabama, I mean, their situation just might – it's also when you take a commitment. It's a mutual agreement. It's not just, hey, a kid took, got an offer and now I want to be in a class so I'm in. No, it's there's offered, then there's a committable offer, and then there's both of you agreeing that, yes, I want to be a part of this class and we want you in the class. So Alabama might just be holding off on some commitments until June. That just might be how this is working out. And so because it's a marathon, you can't really look at everybody. Obviously we can, this is our our job. We're supposed to look at everybody else, but Ohio state can't, as Ryan day kind of put a little bit, he's not completely wrong, even though it is sort of coach speak. He can't keep too much of an eye on what Alabama's doing because their process is different. They have to just keep chugging away the way they are and make sure that if a guy is, has momentum towards Ohio State and he's supposed to be in this class, they have to lock down the guys they're supposed to lock down. You do your job, and it puts you in the best possible position near the finish line to end up coming in first. Does the name Steve Prefontaine mean anything to you? It doesn't. It's not a football name, That's, so don't, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve Prefontaine was a like, famous distance runner in like the 70s, 80s out of uh. Oregon. You kind of helped put like uh, when when Nike was first starting. That was like wow. he was one of the guys. But like he was a he was a huge college uh, distance runner. Um, passed away very tragically at a young age. But he his if you watch the movies, it was a weird thing. Like two movies came out in the same year about Steve Prefontaine. One year it was like Billy Crudup was one, and I think Jared Leto was the other. I think anyway, he, his his I was just to say your headline is this will this will hit a lot of SEO. Why Ryan Day is the Steve Prefontaine of college football recruiting. Because that was kind of his running style was he came out running. He, they, his, his coaches would always be like, oh, you got to hang back. You can't make your move too soon. You're going to wear yourself out. And then you won't be able to catch up at the end. And his running style was, no, I'm just going out hard at the start. And uh, I'm just going to win that way. So that's the analogy I'm making here. I want to look a little bit closer at this Alabama class, this small Alabama class. But it's still interesting to me because of what they're hitting so far. You know, like I said, you get a, you get a, a three-star kid out of the south defensive end and you know Ohio State does this too they'll, they'll grab three-star guys locally 
And a lot of times it's, it's not, they're not just filling a spot, especially that early. It's a guy that they think maybe they got in on early. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago on the pod that maybe you're, you're, you're finding something before everybody else knows about him. So my assumption is that that guy can play some football. I don't care what he's ranked if Alabama's taking him. Um, a tight end ranked number 303, Ohio State, thrives on tight ends ranked number 303 once in a while you get your records but a lot of times right a lot of times it's guys who yeah. are lower than that this is another another four-star guy he's got a 90 uh, star rating so solid from guy Ohio. oh that's right he's from Ohio, from dayton mm-hmm. ohio elijah brown and then um then a linebacker then then three more guys so a top 100 linebacker robert woodyard a running back then two five stars both in the top 30 five star named emmanuel henderson from alabama and Robert Woodyard was also from Alabama, and then uh, a five-star quarterback from Westview Martin out of uh, in, uh, Martin Westview in Tennessee. His name's Ty Simpson. What do you know about any of those guys, and how big of a deal it was for for Alabama to get those guys early? I mean, with the Alabama guys, it's just uh, Alabama locking down the state once again. Emmanuel Henderson's the number two running back in the in the country, and he's from your state, which is why it's going to be interesting as Ohio State starting to offer a few guys, not a lot. Some guys from Alabama, Tony Mitchell, the five-star cornerback in the 2023 class, how that goes for them. If that's ever anything that's going to turn into anything or if it's just you trying to go after a national kid. Ty Simpson's the interesting one there because they stole him from Clemson. That's supposed to be Clemson's quarterback commitment. Obviously, Clemson ended up with Kay Klubnick, who beat Ohio State's starting – not starting quarterback – uh, quarterback commit Quinn Ewers in the state t- title game, um, continuing that that long that growing legacy of Ohio State and Clemson quarterbacks having a history before they get to Ohio State and Clemson. But yeah, they they stole him from Clemson, and as a five star quarterback, so Alabama's got a five star quarterback. Clemson's got a guy who might end up being a five star quarterback, and Ohio State has the Trevor Lawrence of the group at this point. So that's the that's the one with the most interesting background. Some of our textures have asked about Elijah Brown when he committed to Alabama in the first place. Was Ohio State in on that guy? Why did they let him go to Alabama? Well, they let him go to Alabama because they got Benji Gosnell and Bennett Christian back in the fall. And that's just the options they decided to go with over Elijah Brown. It's nothing – He, I don't even think Elijah Brown had an offer. So it's – Alabama didn't steal him the way that they stole Devontae Smith out of Ohio. Uh, the other – it's just right now Alabama locked down in state. They went and got their quarterback. So they're at the early stages of where you would expect – uh, elite program to be at locking your state in get your quarterback and then let's start to build around that yeah you know Ohio State's not the Bears they're not going to go out and just take every tight end that they can find which my, my Bears were trying to do a couple years ago it seemed like yeah I think two is plenty in one class so uh, yeah one of those things where a, a strong guy right there in your state but you you went and found two other guys so I think I think that makes sense uh, it's interesting it's you mentioned kind of them locking down their state I wonder what if you're Alabama, what do you think of as your state? Because I don't think it's just Alabama, right? Because I don't think Ohio State thinks of, yeah, there's one, locking down Ohio is important, but if there's a guy in Indiana or Western Pennsylvania, you need to go get him too, right? Like, don't you think, and I feel like that's probably how Alabama thinks about, maybe not quite to the same extent about Louisiana and Mississippi and in Tennessee where they went and got Ty Simpson. But that sort of regional dominance for them can be even more fruitful when they're spilling outside the borders of their state. Alabama's is interesting. I think SEC schools, when you talk about locking down their state, are always interesting. I think what Clemson has the ability to do and what Ohio State has the ability to do is obviously Ohio State's the only Power Five school in the state, but it's also the only school in its conference that at its best is a – what they are right now are a playoff team. 
consistently, if they're at their best consistently, Clemson's the same way. The ACC sucks, as Doug would love to tell, tell you guys. I think the SEC has maybe two or three teams in it where at, if they're at their best, they're a playoff team. And so locking down your state probably has a different meaning. Yes, you lock down – like Alabama has to compete with Auburn. But more importantly, it's you stole a guy from Ole Miss. You stole a guy from LSU because you went into Louisiana. You stole a guy from Florida because you went into their state. and stole, got a guy. You stole a guy from, you know, Kirby Smart because you went into Georgia and got a guy. So it's – I don't I, – the locking down your state is interesting. Like right now, Alabama is literally favored to get the top four players in the, in the 2022 class from Alabama. But it's also about how many times can you steal a guy from another SEC state and add him to your roster and – then maybe two or three years down the line when that kid develops, the other program's looking, man, if we'd only had that kid, if, I, if Alabama hadn't stolen, you know, whatever top 50 player in the country who's from our state, how much better would our program be right now? So where are these programs going head-to-head right now? As we look at how the rest of this 2022 class will unfold for Ohio State, we think they're about roughly halfway to where they're going to end up being kind of run down the big battlegrounds that there still are where Ohio State and Alabama have to go head-to-head. I guess it probably starts with Walter Nolan, right? Yeah, Walter Nolan. I mean, that's the big fish that everybody wants. He's, I mean, they're both equally as far away from Tennessee as they can be given where they are regionally, and that, that's going to be the big fish. Ohio State probably, from a positional need, needs to, def- needs to nose tackle more than Alabama does probably, mainly because I think Alabama runs a 3-4. Uh, but also, that's the number two player. And that's the highest rated guy still on the board. And so that's where it all starts. But I think for Ohio State, where the most important battle is, is still Keontae Goodwin. Because right now, he is showing off some remnants of J.C. Latham. How do you learn from those lessons? That's a guy who's habitually rising in the rankings. He's probably going to be a five-star recruit by the time we get to signing day. He's already in the top and continues to rise after putting those 100 pounds on over the last year. He's got offers from both. Both are among his top schools. He's probably going to update it again in the next couple of weeks here. But he's been favored to Ohio State for a while now. And if we get into the summertime and Alabama starts creeping in and starts stealing some of that momentum, it is going to have remind people of what happened with J.C. Latham where you missed out on that recruit. And so that's the most important one is making sure you lock that kid up. But more importantly, you make sure he doesn't end up at Alabama. Because Alabama has a tendency to get kids like that. But in total, there are 47 undecided players still left in this class who have offers from both Ohio State and Alabama. Now, obviously, they're not going to split those players, but Keontae Goodwin, Walter Nolan, those types of guys, uh, Ernest Green, those type, of, those type of guys, Nick James are the type of guys that first pop up in your head when you think of who are the most important people that if they end up at Ohio State or Alabama might swing who ends up winning a recruiting title. And Nick James will be here this summer and in that first week of June at Buckeye Bass 2.0, which we'll get, I've texted about, and we'll get into more as we get closer to that date. What position are those guys and where are they from? Nick James, a defensive tackle. He's from the South. Who else did I mention? I just like, uh, Keontae Goodwin is from Indiana, but he's originally from Louisville. Uh, uh, Nick James, uh, he's at IMG right now, but he is actually from the South. I think he's from Alabama, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Walter Nolan, obviously from Tennessee. Uh, those are guys to keep an eye on. It's Walter Nolan being in SEC country, Nick James being from SEC country and now at IMG, you know, the prep school where Ohio State and Alabama have both had a lot of success. But then Keontae Goodwin is a Midwest kid who's originally from Louisville now living in Southern Indiana. So you mentioned the lessons of Keontae Goodwin. What do you mean by that? Like what didn't Ohio State, other than the fact that he didn't commit to Ohio State, was there something Ohio State did wrong 
that cost them in that recruitment that, that they need to repair this time around? Yeah, I don't think it's anything they necessarily did wrong. Let's just, for the sake of, since we talked about it on yesterday's pod, the Master T. Travion Henderson situation. I think, no, actually, here's a better example. I think crystal balls and momentum, I think, have their place in recruiting, and they're typically pretty accurate. But if it's there for four or five months, that momentum probably doesn't exist anymore. We saw it with Damani Jackson. We saw it with Armani Winfield in the 2022. Those guys got a lot of momentum for Ohio State back when Ohio State was on that run of, of top 100 guys who seemed like everybody was going to come to Ohio State. But if it doesn't hit immediately, then it probably doesn't matter anymore, as we found out. Winfield ended up going to Texas, and Jackson ended up at USC. And so that's why when you see a bunch of crystal balls pop up, when they popped up, yes, J.C. Latham, if he would have decided to commit right then and there, he probably would have been a Buckeye. But as you hold, the longer you hold off, the longer you put off things, along with the fact that he transferred, he's from Wisconsin. And he decided to go to IMG, so he's actually closer to Alabama at that point as far as getting the, before the world shut down, obviously, and getting the chance to go see that kid play and whatnot. It's just you give when you have momentum and you don't strike on it, you give more time for other schools to play catch up. And that's why it was so important for Keon Graves when he got on campus after you saw those crystal balls popping up for him the moment he decommitted from Arizona. It was so important that he got on campus because the moment he got on campus, as we found out, before he got on that flight, he committed to Ohio State. So crystal balls matter, but they matter more when they pop up and then a kid gets a chance to get on campus because that sometimes can be the final punctuation. And that didn't seem to happen with J.C. Latham, just circumstance of a pandemic. Since you mentioned getting on campus, remind people where things stand as far as the dead period, which may or may not be ending, but there <laughs> seems like there's a, there's, there's reason for optimism that it could be ending at the end of May, right? And, and it seems like that's something that would mean more for Ohio State in terms of holding on to commitments they have as opposed to getting new commitments. Am I, would I read that correctly? That's that's a good way to put it because there's a I mean if there were players in the 21 class who hadn't been on campus before the bulk of the 2022 class has never been here before and Quinn Ewers hasn't been here since he was a freshman, which is always the interesting thing with quarterbacks is sometimes these kids get on campus and you haven't seen them throw in three or four years and you're trusting that they still continue to develop even though you haven't seen it in person, but yeah just getting these kids around each other you got 11 guys who are conversing with each other's solely through social media and group chats, which is great. Technology allows you to do that in this day and age, but sometimes you need to get around each other. To, if you see a per, there's a reason why you do job interviews in person at some point, because you got to see what that person is when you're actually around them. And okay, I'm going to spend the next three to five years of my life around this person. Do I really like this person or not? And so that's important as well. But also I think it'll help guys like CJ Hicks and Desan McCullough who are now, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're going to be – they're both Ohio kids. Technically, C.J. Hicks actually and Desan McCullough is an Ohio kid who just – his dad keeps getting coaching jobs, so he moves around with them. But they do a lot of work in some of these group chats trying to recruit kids, and they've done an awesome job, as we can see. But to be able to get around some of these kids, like a Nick James, obviously Ryan Turner's here right now. We'll see if he decides to come back later this summer. There's enough, That's a list of people who are showing up in June when hopefully this dead period ends in May. Um, that Buckeye Bass 2.0 is going to be very important for one, the commits getting a chance to know each other, but also putting in some work and recruiting some of these other guys who are maybe on the tipping point of maybe committing or maybe not. Turner dropped the, the Twitter pin today. Remind people what he's about and, and where he fits in with this class. Ryan Turner, cornerback, 
uh, he might be, as I texted to the Texas day, as a cornerback out of Florida, he might be the, the defensive back version of what Keon Grays is in the sense that you got in on him early when he was in the 300s. He's a number three, 336 player in the country, a number 33 cornerback. But, I mean, the Ohio State offer, as we've seen, can sometimes bump you up in some of those rankings. But also, he might end up top 200, top 150 level player. And for a team who's still looking for another cornerback, when you, you know, you didn't get Will Johnson. You missed out on Monty Jackson. He's one of those. Austin Jordan, obviously, is still on the table. A kid out of Texas, number 173 player in the country. But Ryan Turner is a kid to keep his, keep your eye on as a lower-rated guy when Ohio State got in on him, but might end up finishing closer into that top 100 just as he continues to develop as a late bloomer. And since you mentioned it in passing, uh, Buckeye Bash, this was a big deal last year when – uh, Jack Sawyer kind of organized his own little thing. And now this sounds like it might start becoming a more entrenched tradition. I, I'm curious to know if that is something that somebody in this class will just always pick up pandemic or not and have some, some sort of thing like this. Yeah. I, so it was actually supposed to happen anyway in 2021. I, what, I want to remind people of is with the 2020 class, as I've already t- sent out to our texters. I've sent a lot of this information for us. Sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. Yeah, man, sign up for the text. We have a good time. In 2019, the June of 2019, for the 2020 class, they held a Buckeye Bash and Barbecue at Ohio State. It had pretty much taken the place of what, what Friday Night Lights was for Urban Meyer, where his idea was get a lot of these guys in, in the shoe, under the lights, doing some drills, doing all this stuff, and they walk away blown away with what they saw. Chase Young actually committed at the Friday night lights camp to the 2017 uh, summer of 2016. And so this was Ryan Day's version of that, where you get all these kids around. It's less about football and more about just getting around each other, getting a chance to know, the, to know each other. It's more It fits Ryan Day's personality as a guy who just wants to be personable with a lot of these players. So it was commits. It was targets. It was current players. It was former players. Just a, a kickback, basically. A good time and a, a party. And they were supposed – and from that, Ohio State's 2020 class got its defensive commitments, basically. Lathan Ransom joined the class. Clark Phillips actually committed the moment he, he touched down in Columbus. Obviously, he ended up flipping to Utah. But Darion Henry Young committed a couple weeks after that. Uh, uh, Cameron Martinez. Basically, the bulk of the defensive side of the ball came right after that event. They were supposed to do it again last summer where a lot of the people who ended up attending Jack Sawyer's Buckeye Bash were supposed to take official visits during that summer. Jack Sawyer, Kyle McCord, I think Travion Henderson, uh, Ben Christman, all these guys were supposed to take – it was supposed to be this exact same thing. Now, obviously, pandemic shut that down, and so players have to take things into their own hands, which gets us to the Buckeye Bash where Jack Sawyer just had 10, 12, 13 kids in his house. And they walked around, they walked around High Street, saw Columbus, so that and saw what they could on Ohio State's campus. Obviously, they couldn't go inside the Woody, but got an idea of the place they were going to be living in for the next three to five years of their life. So they weren't completely lost when a lot of those get the 15 guys who showed up as early enrollees weren't just walking around with their heads cut off. They kind of knew where they were going. And they and CJ Hicks and Desan loved that idea. And so they wanted to adapt it and make it their own thing. So they were going to do a similar thing. The details still needed to be worked out because nobody, nobody lives in Columbus. Uh, the closest one is Gabe Powers, who lives in Marysville, which is about 45 minutes from Columbus. Uh, but it was going to be the same idea. What would help is if the recruiting dead period would have ended. 
it was originally supposed to be in January. Obviously, that gets pushed back. And so, which is why you saw CJ Hicks and Desan McCullough going, hey, I'll see you in April, when it was originally supposed to end on April 15th, which is why you saw so many spring football dates pop up, but it's April 16th and days after that. Um, you get these kids on campus, they go to the spring game, and also in our Ohio State can now be involved because the dead period is no longer in place. Now, right now, it's pushed back to June because we'll see if this dead period ends in May, which allows that to happen. But the idea is you get back to what that Buckeye Bash and barbecue was in June 2019, and maybe you mix in what Jack Sawyer was able to do now that you've seen that formula as well. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball recruiting because I know people, having just watched what unfolded with Ohio State this season, want to know how recruiting might help them fix the things we were just talking about last week uh, with the end of that season. You are listening to the BFF podcast on Buckeye Talk. All right, wrapping up here on Buckeye Talk, Stephen, you wrote a piece for the site today, this morning, I believe, as we're recording this on Thursday, kind of breaking down Ohio State and where it's going to, where it needs to go for its next recruiting class in men's basketball. Kind of give us just the overview where things sit right now and what's still up in the air. Yeah, Ohio State has the number 42 class in 2021, but you've got to put some context behind it. Michi Johnson was originally in that class as a top 100 kid who just enrolled early, so it throws that off. That's actually a top 20, top 15 class if you throw him back into that from a number standpoint. All Ohio guys, Malachi Branham and Kalen Etzler, they'll arrive this summer. Uh, Kalen Etzler, more of a de- maybe more of a developmental guy who still needs to put on weight because he's six foot eight, 195 pounds. But I think his importance is, yeah, yeah, he's got to put on some weight. <laughs> yeah, because he's a power forward. That's, that's just not going to cut it in the Big Ten. But he is an important recruit because it's, it shows where Holtman wants to take this team. He wants playmakers. I don't think he's ever – obviously you need a big, and we'll get to that in a second. But to have a guy like Kalen Edwards, who's more of a stretch four, spaces the floor. It pulls guys like Luca Gar. Garza and Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson out of the paint because they have to worry about that shooter out there. And so it also it spaces a four and it opens up space for guys like Malachi and EJ and Dwayne to a lesser extent in the future and Michi to operate and penetrate into the lane and do all of those types of things. And that's, I think, where Holtman wants to take things. And so to just think Kyle Young in the first half of the Michigan game but that's a normal part of his game and not a, a, a newsworthy headline because Kyle Young never shoots threes. Malachi obviously is the crown jewel of the class. He's the guy that they need to be the freshman sensation that Holtman hasn't had yet that that might have had a couple of times in his career, whether it was Jared Selinger, whether it was Michael, uh, Greg Oden, Michael Conley, uh, D'Angelo Russell. That, that's what Malachi needs to be, a guy who can come in and be a 15-point scorer from the get-go when he gets here. Now, they might add a, th- a fourth guy or a third guy now to that class because, as we all know, Ohio State needs a big. And that big is going to come one of two ways. Either they'll add a grad transfer, and I know there have been some names floated out there of who Ohio State has been in contact with, or it's going to be Efton Reed. The other option is Chet Hogram, but at this point, I think we're all kind of know he's probably going to Gonzaga. I think you don't have to pay that much attention to Chet to think that kid's going to be at Gonzaga. And that's a one and done type of player. Efton Reed, the five-star center, number 23 overall player, number three center, high on Ohio State. And this is a battle they can win. It's Virginia, Florida State, NC State, and Ohio State. That's what it's going to come down to at this point. They're still recruiting that guy hard. So if they add another guy to this class, that's the guy that everybody needs to pay attention to. It's either that or it's going to be a grad transfer. By the way, Chet Holmgren was a 
kid that I covered in recruiting a little bit. I first saw him in August 2018 at a like a summer showcase thing. And at that time, you're talking about weight disparities. Man. He was he was pushing seven foot and he weighed, I think, about 170. He's 190 though. He was <laughs> that was a skinny guy, and he's still a skinny guy, but he can play some ball. And I think you're right. I think he's probably it sounds like he's probably headed west why has because it, it, so that's one example of a guy i mean that's a legit guy that ohio state was in on and they run on him early i think that was one of the, the programs that was mentioned on him early so it wasn't like they they just missed the boat on him um I, i'm thinking of another guy um zach loveday people who watched the sweet yeah. 16 this weekend that's a kid from what gallipolis ohio um who's going to be playing coming off a of baylor's bench maybe he doesn't play a whole lot but a seven footer coming off a of baylor's bench in the sweet 16 this weekend from ohio like so where have things – has it just been a case where sometimes in recruiting you get punished for being second place a lot? Like if you keep coming in second with great recruits, that can really sometimes kill you. And it's it's a tough thing for coaches, I think, because you you get so much credit when you hit big on those guys, those five stars, those high four stars. I don't even think Loveday was even that highly ranked, but because of his size it stands out now because of being such a need that Ohio State has. But like – when, when you, 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 you have to spend a lot of capital to recruit those guys sometimes. And when you miss, then at the end of the day, now you've got to start over from square one with somebody else or, or try to catch up. So what, what has been going wrong there? What needs to go better there? I think winning might is – that, is that too simple of an answer? Because you're right. I suppose. Yeah, Ohio State has come in second a lot. I mean, Keon Johnson, who ended up at Tennessee, that's another five-star in the 2020 class that they were high in on and probably finished second in. Puff Johnson was on campus. And to your point, Chad Hogram came to Ohio State football game. He was on this campus, took an Ohio State visit. Puff Johnson, the same way, he ended up at North Carolina, the number 68 player in the 2020 recruiting class, and didn't play. I mean, he didn't really have a role this year. I'm pretty sure he would have had a role at Ohio State if he decided to come this year. So I, I think – Winning might just be the answer there. Or you maybe switch your pitch up and it's less about you – because know, you haven't done it, you can look at some of this and go, listen, just, let's just use Afton Reed for an example. What they can do with him is, listen, we're right there. I mean, at our best, we were the number three team in the country. We were, had a 10-1 stretch. We had a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, and we got upset. But there were clearly some holes in this team. One of those holes is you. We didn't have a you on this team. There's no – no one's in your way. And that's how they're kind of recruiting him, too, the same way they recruited Caleb Wesson a little bit, even though Caleb was an Ohio guy. It's, listen, you're a top 100 kid, and there's nobody in your way of being a starter as a true freshman. And that's what Caleb Wesson came here and did, and he had a pretty quality career, and that's what they can sell Efton Reed on. I don't think they've always been able to sell that with other positions. And I think a lot of it is because we haven't seen Holtman let a freshman off the leash yet. DJ Carden was probably the most – no, it's not probably. He was the most explosive freshman that they had here, a guy that you thought was going to come in here and blow people's you know, doors off and when he got here, and it took some time. He didn't start right – he never really got a chance to start. I think his best game was that Northwestern game before he removed himself from the program. Even EJ Liddell, I mean, he's had this great breakout season. Last year that wasn't the case. He was a role player playing 12, 15 minutes a night who was asked to play defense and rebound, and now all of a sudden he's the leading scorer. There, I, I think – that if Malachi is able to maybe be that guy as a true freshman next year, it might open the door, especially when you're talking about these five-star one-and-done kids who want to come in here and showcase themselves as NBA players. Now, with that being said, the G League option makes things difficult 
And things get even more difficult if we get to a place where the NBA, as a lot of people think with this 2022 class, a lot of those kids won't have to wait a year to get to the NBA, which is where you bring a guy like Chris Livingston, who's two hours away from your campus up at Akron Bookdoor, the number three player in the country in the 2022 class. If this were five years ago, that's your Jared Seliger. That's your five-star homegrown talent who just wants to be a Buckeye. But because of how things might shape up, one with the G League, but also with the NBA, and that's clearly a one-and-done player, he might never touch a college campus ever. So now you have to go down the totem pole of what type of elite talent you could bring into Ohio State. That's a good rundown. That, that sets a stage for where we're going to be looking at Ohio State basketball recruiting for the next couple of years. And uh, come back next week for more football talk. We are going to have more discussions about where things are going for 2022 and how this is setting up for Ohio State for the next several years. But for today, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.